Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine, custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. everyone to a bonus episode of Revolution Recap. We have a special interview with Brian Dunseth today. Sam Minton conducted this interview for a piece in the Blazing Musket that is available right now. That piece has the highlights, but as part of our partnership, we have the full conversation for you here. We should add that this is Brian Dunseth's second time on the show. He was one of the pandemic podcasts. Today they are talking about Apple TV Plus, uh, his expectations for the Revs this season, looking ahead to this weekend's game uh, against Columbus. Uh, He touches on his Revs career briefly at the end, but if you would like to hear more on his playing career and his Revolution career, you can go back to our Pandemic podcast with him. Uh, Check out our podcast feed and go back to the May 15th, 2020 episode. That is episode 173. I think it's labeled 7... Uh, There's 373 uh, in our podcast feed, but uh, May 15th, 2020, we have a much more in-depth interview with him there about his time with the Revolution and his playing career. This is also a good time to mention that you can support our friends at The Blazing Musket by subscribing to their substack at theblazingmusket.com. You can sign up for a free membership and get all of their reporting, their news, game recaps in your email inbox. You don't need to search to stay up to date on Revs News. It comes straight to you. It's very convenient. Uh, And if you'd like to go a step further, you can sign up for their paid membership at $5 a month to be a part of their subscriber chats, submit questions to their weekly mailbag, uh, and you get Tanner's weekly notebook, uh, which is one of my favorite pieces of reoccurring Revs work. Uh, And you'll also be supporting local journalism and journalists who make fine content like this. One housekeeping note, we got some comments on the sound from last weekend's episode. Sam was recording from his car, so the sound quality was not great due to a, and due to a very quick turnaround. Uh, we didn't have a lot of time to edit and adjust the sound on that one. This one should be better, but it is still recorded from Sam Minton's car. Uh, sound should be a lot better today. It's not perfect. And also at one point you will hear a train going by in the background. Uh, But outside of that, this sound should be a little bit fine. We apologize for last weekend's episode. If you were having difficulty with sound or anything else, someone mentioned that Spotify is having an issue with episodes stopping halfway through. Uh, You can always shoot us an email at revolutionrecap at gmail.com. Also, make sure you rate us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. If you've not already, getting close to 100 five-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, Please make it happen. Uh, Really looking forward to hitting that 100 mark. Also, not a full ad read today, but friendly reminder, go check out GolassoKits.com. Save 15% off your order by using promo code REVSRECAP. GolassoKits.com, 15% off when you use promo code REVSRECAP. And now here is our conversation with Brian Dunseth. Talk to me about what it's been like working with Apple for MLS season pass, and have you been able to enjoy getting to see a little bit more of the league instead of focusing on one team? Yeah, I think it's, well, first off, I'm I'm super honored to be a part of this initial group. You know, I think there was so much, so many, you know, variables and unknowns heading into the season because we kind of all knew that it was coming to the end of the original contract and that everybody's kind of individual team responsibilities were going to change drastically with the announcement, what was it, last June, that Apple was coming in and, and going to 
be in charge with MLS of, of broadcasting all these games. So, you know, for, for all of us, and I'll speak kind of broad stroke, for all of us trying to figure out if we were involved, you know, could we be involved, and then ultimately what it was going to look like from that point on. So super, super, super honored and happy to be a part of it since it's pretty much the only thing I've ever known since 1997 joining the Revs, which I was just talking with Alexi Wallace on our series show earlier today. And, and then, you know, I think one of the unique things about my broadcasting career is I've been really fortunate to be with Fox Soccer and FS1, to be in BC Sports, to be with ESPN throughout different stages of my, my kind of broadcast career. So being able to call, quote-unquote, national games and not just kind of local Real Salt coverage um, afforded me really the opportunity to be really well-prepared and well-versed with how to handle kind of the international um, and um, national and international broadcasts uh, that we have at the forefront right now for Apple. So, yeah, super excited. For those that don't know, being paired up with Max Bredos is even better because Max actually did my very first national broadcast at Fox Soccer back in the day. We did a David Beckham LA Galaxy on the road for Hong Kong 11. And it was like a 3 a.m. kickoff from the, from the studios in Santa Monica Slack right below studio or uh, b- below UCLA. Um, so to be able to, uh, to be able to call games with my guy, Max, um, I, I couldn't be more, uh, uh, I couldn't be a more lucky individual on this side of things. Yeah. And now obviously kind of looking at the revs and their start to the season, you know, overall, what's been your impression of the team and, you know, did you kind of expect them to have such a good start to the season? Uh, well, I, I got to call the game out at LAFC a couple weeks ago, so I don't know if Bruce is going to be too happy that I'm, I'm calling the game <laughs> this weekend in Columbus, considering how well everything started. And then, um, obviously the result in LA was, was not what they were looking for at the time. Um, listen, I, I, I think anyone that predicted this start of the season, uh, for New England would probably be lying, right? I know we do all the preseason predictions and we talk about what it would look like and what it would feel like and what they think you're going to get out of them. But I, I probably would have said the same the year before with missing out on the playoffs after breaking the, the league points total um, in, in 2021. Um, but I think what we're seeing this year is you have a really smart, savvy business deal to acquire Bobby Wood, who, when he was healthy, was, was I think, a really serviceable goal scorer for Real Salt Lake. I saw him here week in, week out, but unfortunately he just couldn't stay healthy. You completely throw Barrero into the mix, and all of a sudden, the pickups of Romney and Blessing, the spine of the team, is incredibly solid. Um, there, there's no weakness in this team. And even you go back, and I know it's Montreal, and Montreal's not playing well, but however you describe it, and I know Bruce hates to talk about tactics, you know, you knuckleheads, um, but Petrovic and goal, you know, back four, I think Romney, left-footed, dominant center back, affords even more time and space for DeWan Jones and Kessler, uh, the addition of Latif, I think, I think undercover is one of the best moves of the offseason because I've always rated him in, incredibly high. And I think Bob Bradley did a really good job inverting him into more of a central midfield role when he was primarily used as a, as a winger for Sporting Kansas City and Peter Burmese. And then just having a, a Carlos Hill and a, and a Gustavo Bo back in the mix. And, and Barrero, again, showing... I, I, I don't want to... I, I hate comparing players, but there's so many different characteristics that are similar to Tejon um, from a couple of years back. So, yeah, it, it's it's great to see them starting out so well. And I think games like this in Columbus do have, a, have an interesting kind of turnover in the aftermath of Caleb Porter um, creates a great opportunity for, for New England to continue their momentum 
and for everyone to try to stay as close as possible to what FC Cincinnati has done so far in the season. Yeah, and then obviously, too, when it comes to, you know, New England facing off against Columbus, a lot of the focus initially will go to some, the battle between Carlos Heel and Lucas El Arian. Can you just kind of, you know, compare and contrast their playing styles and what really stands out about those two players? Yeah, similar and yet different, right? I think both players have the freedom to go find the game. And I think, first off, you know, we, we, I call it player profile, right? The, the player profile of players are similar. Um, but let's start with their intelligence, the way they kind of sniff out spaces, um, how to get away from defensive midfielders that are, you know, really focused on minimizing effects. Um, and, and, and because they're so technically gifted, they're given the license to, and the creativity to go find that space. Um, whether you talk about right foot or left foot, whether you talk about inside the foot, outside the foot, whether you talk about, you know, way to the pass, dropping the ball, curving the ball, undercutting the ball, all these things, like the the leaning and, and playing around little one twos combination plays. They're just they're they're there's just a certain core group of players that you can talk about week in, week out will have such a huge positive effect for their team. And I think the these two players are are kind of shining examples of you know when when and, and I would I mean, let's use let's use Minnesota United mm-hmm. but Battle Mosso, right another perfect example very similar to these two that we're talking about when he's not in Minnesota's team Adrian Heath and Minnesota United are a completely different team mm-hmm. than they are with him in the team so that that's what I would put the effect of and when, when Carlo um, tore his Achilles uh, a year and a half ago two years ago however long it was now you saw them playing differently because they had to play differently. Um, and, and that's just the, the cause and effect of, of being able to go out on the international market, having ownership that is willing to be committed to spend because they have the trust of the front office and the coaching staff that they'll identify the correct player and credit the both coaching staffs because it's not just as we've seen in New England over the years. And I go all the way back to 1997. You can name a bunch of number 10s and you can name a bunch of creative players. But were they always the right fit? Did they have the right personality for the locker room? Did they have the leadership attributes? Were they good people? Um, I think all of those boxes are checked with Carlos and, and, and Lucas around. Yeah, and then when it kind of comes to Columbus, you know, what stands about their play? And then obviously, too, Wilfred Nazi has been able to come in and make a real impact. So what, what stands out about his coaching style and his effect on this Columbus team? You know, if you go back, and I, and I highly suggest anyone who's reading or listening, um, go check out his pathway. Um, leaving France, coming to Montreal, starting with the kids, working his way up to being a Thierry Henry's assistant, and then having enough, I, I call it sweat equity, work within the club to get his opportunity to be the head coach. Um, and in the beginning, people were like, well, where's his pedigree? Where's his, where, where's his coaching acumen? How, how can you, how can you say this guy who's been like a three, four, five year, year, uh, assistant coach, why is he the right guy? Well, we saw it and we saw a lot of guys buy in. And, and what I would say about his time in Montreal is he made players better. He coached players up. And I think that's what you're seeing right now. I mean, no Cucho, and I know Christian Ramirez is kind of a proven commodity in MLS circles with his time in Minnesota and L.A., Houston, and coming back from Aberdeen. But remember, Alexandru Matan was basically like one week away from Caleb Porter trying to get rid of him as quickly as possible. And he looks like he's an undroppable force right now. Um, I think Darlington Nyadi has made Aiden Morris that much better. He's celebrating his first or his second call-up. I know he's in the January window, but... Uh, another call up against Mexico uh, next week down in Phoenix. Um, I'm not sure who had Will Sands 
on the bingo card for a starter in a, a hybrid of a three or four from high man back line on that left-hand side. He's been really good. Um, and with no Eli room between the posts, who's been there for the better part of three years, all of a sudden you're looking at a couple of new faces and a couple of big opportunities with younger players coming through the academy setup of getting chances in this team. So I, I would say that there's a clear identity, great facilities, uh, an ownership, and Tim Bezbachenko that believe that Wilfred Nancy is the right guy. Wilfred Nancy, very in a short amount of time, getting his philosophical and tactical ideas out there in a way that's digestible mentally for this group of players. Um, and they have a lot of self-belief. Outside of, I think, that loss in Philadelphia where the second half kind of got away from them, I'm not sure there's really been a game where you could say that they haven't competed and competed well enough to win. Yeah, and obviously there's a lot that goes into it, and I know it can kind of be like a, a cliche question per se, but if if you have to pinpoint one key for the Revs, you know, going up against this Columbus team, you know, what would you think it would be to get the three points on Saturday? Yeah, I would say it's a midfield battle, to be quite honest with you. And, and I'd be intrigued to see if Wilfred Nancy adjusts his his tactical setup for New England, considering just with Brandon By and Dewan Jones and Barrero and Gustavo Bo, so much... I would say up and down of availability uh, and overlapping availability and, and underlapping, as we saw at Burroughs Cole, where he pinches in kind of centrally with, with heel kind of pulling aside um, even more left. Uh, I'm interested to see what the balance and the shape looks like from the opening whistle because I think what we're recognizing more and more and people aren't talking about, you're seeing multiple shape shifts during a game where, uh, and again, I know Bruce loves talking about it but or hates talking about it, but it's our easiest way to kind of describe it as broadcasters or analysts is what the formation looks like. Um, how do you attack space? How do you protect space? Um, how do you press when you don't have the ball? And can you get that immediate press to win the ball back to be that much further up the field? And can you be smart with really unnecessary fouls in or around the penalty area? Um, but I think if we talk about just the eyeball test, Sam, the, the biggest one for me is going to be uh, who can not just challenge for the first ball but win the second ball in the midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's a lot of regeneration of simple possession that then builds momentum in a team's favor. So I would I would talk about the balance in the midfield third. Yeah, and you know something else that I would say Bruce loves slash hates to talk about is you know how how well this team has gotten off to a good start. So just yeah. when it comes to this team, you know having such a good start, what do you think the ceiling is? Do you know? Do you think that they can contend for an MLS Cup? Um, I, I do. I, I, I truthfully do believe that. I also think that we do a thing where we just talk about, and I can remember doing this exact same game for ESPN two years ago out, out in Columbus, and New England was flying high. And I looked at Bruce, and I was like, like it's a typical Bruce reaction. I said, what do you guys do was? We're scoring more goals than our opponents. And he just kind of smirks and giggles. I was like, what are you doing well defensively? We're letting in less goals than our opponents. Silly, it, you know. It's like such a it's such a simple thing, um, but that's what it really boils down to. And I know Bruce doesn't like to get too high because it's such a long season. Um, and I can remember with LA Galaxy when he was the manager, and, and the team would feel like it was just sputtering right around the playoff mark, and then all of a sudden, you know, July August kicks in, and they're they're flying near the top of the table and amping them up towards the playoffs. So there's a couple different seasons at play here. And getting into the international transfer window, getting into the League's Cup break, and then getting into that run into the playoffs, I think are three very different phases of the season. Um, but I look at the depth of this team, and I'm really intrigued to see 
what the timeline looks like for Josie Altidore this year and how much of, a, of an impact he can have. And I know that sounds crazy to a lot of people, but I still think there's a role for him to play in this team. And then ultimately, you know, how, how do some of the younger players continue to evolve into this group? Um, what is Buck's role? What is Rennick's role? You know, the list goes on and on with the way that the academy is developing really high potential, high bar young players coming through the ranks. So, yeah, I, I know Bruce doesn't like to talk about it, but I don't see any reason why they can't compete in the Eastern Conference. They can't compete to be uh, have home field advantage in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, but I know, you know, the naysayers will say, well, hold on a second. Why can they play this well? to start the way this season and then last year have the season that was such the outlier compared to the year before. Yeah, and you kind of just talk about it when with players' roles, and obviously the a lot of the talk uh, up here in New England is regarding Giacomo Veroni. He's had a rough start. He was able to find the back of the net in the last game. Mm-hmm. You know, as a former player, just how can you build that confidence and kind of get out of those ruts and, you know, hopefully for him, a DP player start to really make an impact? Yeah, have Petrovic kick the ball to him every time <laughs> and dribble through like six guys, right? Yeah. Yeah, listen, I, I, I've i watched him live just once. Um, I watched him last year, and obviously I've, I've seen the games this year. And for a player that has such a, a club pedigree that he does, it's such a, you know, anytime, I don't care what anyone says, you got to be a pretty damn good player to come through UVA. Right. Mm, yeah. um, same for any of those kids that come through Barcelona B or La Masia or Real Madrid B, whatever you call it. You got you got to be a pretty damn good player. But also, I think it's a lot of it has to do with a lot of confidence. And he's he's a different body type and he's a different type of player than the other players that are competing for the similar spot in New England. So at the end of the day, there's times for me that he did not look the part. That it looked like he was going to be one of those DPs that. that didn't settle there's other times like we saw against montreal you're like hold on a second that's that's it like whatever that is how does he bottle that up so confidence you know proven to bruce and the coaching staff week in week out and and this isn't like a 90 minutes between the white lines on saturdays this is like every single session how do you compete what's your mentality what's your body language what do your finishing sessions look like afterwards are you staying after are you working are you the first guy off the field and trying to get a massage all of these things are kind of the mental aspect outside of the games on Saturday that he's being judged on that we as analysts or, or media members or fans aren't seeing. So that's his biggest challenge right now is to perform on the weekends. Goals and assists absolutely matter, especially when you have a DP tag on. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a heavy, heavy thing to weigh on players. But then, you know, doing all the little things better than everyone else behind the scenes, something that we're usually not aware of. Yeah, and obviously, you know, with your uh, career with the New England Revolution, you know, I, I feel like I have to ask, just overall, is there a story or a memory that stands out to you, whether it be on the field or in the locker room from your time with the Revs? Oh, my God. I got. I mean, I could sit here all day and tell Rev stories. <laughs> I mean, it was one of, one of the best times of my life. I mean, coming, coming as a, a young 20-year-old, just turned 20, fresh off the under-20 national team, uh, and I was telling the story today because we had Alexi Lawless on our show on Sirius. Alexi Lawless was there for my first days of professional and my last days of professional. Wow. He, in July 3rd, 1994, it was uh, the Pasadena Hilton. Mike Burns was my roommate. I just got back from Malaysia in the Under-20 World Cup. I was sitting in between him and, and uh, Alexi while Thomas Rongan was doing his first uh, or my first like team talk. 
Um, and I was so nervous to be around all these guys that I, I just wanted to be a part of icons. They were U.S. soccer royalty. And then all of a sudden to be a part of it and train at the Rose Bowl and, you know, be on the bench and two days later get my debut on the road at San Jose. Subsequently take a Jeff Beicher shot off the face and get a concussion. Um, and be taken off at halftime, uh, to waking up on an airplane two days later in New York and having no idea how I got there because that was concussion protocol back in the late nineties to Walter Zenga, who just, I was, I was texting with Walter Zenga two days ago and, and, and just catching up about good old times to watching on Instagram, uh, all the refs history pictures from back in the day and seeing Jair and uh, Chiki Chikonde and all those guys, um, Alberto Naveda. Yeah, I, I loved every second of my time. Um, you know, even my falling out with Fernando Clavijo, and he had a lot of people fall out with him during his time as a manager. Uh, I still think it was probably one of the best trades New England ever got was the iconic Jay Heaps for me and a bicycle pump uh, going down to the Miami Fusion. But, yeah, four years of my life, um, I, I loved it. The old Foxborough, the smell of, you know, beer, pee, and peanuts uh, at, at, at such a great, iconic facility. And just lifelong friends and relationships. And I always, I always love going back and, and driving through Norwood and, and heading up the, heading up the highway up to the stadium. Um, yeah, man, I, I couldn't speak more highly of my four years as a Revolution player. I loved it. Yeah, and you know, you've mentioned it, uh, you've kind of broken into it actually in, uh, this interview, but our photographer, uh, Dolan, he is a big fan of yours. He used to stay up editing photos and, uh, watching the RSL broadcast and playing Dunny Bingo and all that. So he wanted me to ask oh, nice. you, so he wanted me to ask you, do you plan on bringing out the Bruce impression during the call? And obviously you have your own, but who has the best Bruce impression? You can say yourself though. Uh. Yeah, I mean, listen, Tony Mueller's got a great Bruce. I mean, John Hart's probably has one of the best Bruce's I've ever heard. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> Susanna Collins, and, um, uh, who, who was, it was, uh, let's see, it was Jillian Sakovitz and Susanna Collins in the call up. It was either last year or the year before. They asked me to do my Bruce impression. I did it and they sunk me Aww. and they played it for Bruce the next week. Aww. And Bruce was like, that doesn't sound like me. And I was like, oh. And they, they're sending me messages like, oh, he just played it for Bruce. And I was like, why did you play it for Bruce? Um, I say it out of love. Dude, I, I, I have the utmost room for Bruce. I think he is an incredible human being. Um, I, I still, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done for the game in the United States, uh, that he's done for the college game at UVA. That was my first introduction to him playing in the UVA tournament with Cal State Floydson. Uh, then watching the incredible amount of success with DC United. And, um, you think about his coaching umbrella, you think about the player umbrella that have been a part of teams that he's been a part of, um, and the success that he's had. And I know a lot of people just point out, you know, what happened in 2017 down in Trinidad and Tobago. And I, I, I always think that's a really unfair asterisk mark that's, that's attached to him, but it is reality. But yeah, my, my, my moments in the U.S. national team with Bruce as the head coach are, some of my favorite moments in my memory um just because his his candor his his jokes his timing his delivery um are all incredibly special and the environments that he always created as a manager were were always incredible to be a part of and i was nothing more than uh, a camp guy like i never i never was able to break through at the time of God, the Eddie Popes and the Carlos Jamosas and the Tony Senez and the mm -hmm. Greg Berhalter's transitioning to the 
uh, Carlos Bocanegra, Zagochi, and Yeru's, like those type of players. Um, you know, I, I was kind of stuck in that mix where I was never, I was good enough to get a call up, but never good enough to break in. Um, but when the whistle blew, you knew exactly where you stood with Bruce and the accountability of performance. Um, was, was always there in the competition level. Everybody, he, he created an environment that everybody wanted to perform. So, um, love my time with Bruce. I do, I do my impression with the utmost respect meant. And, uh, because it's Bredos, there's probably a way I could get a, Bru- a, a quick Bruce in there at some point. <laughs> I think I did at LAFC, but yeah, because I deleted Twitter back in October, Dunny Bingo doesn't really live the way it used to live. Uh, back in the day. Yeah, yeah, big uh, rest in peace to that. But I do have to ask one question, just based off your talking of Bruce. Obviously, he is getting older. Just how long do you think he can, uh, you know, continue coaching for uh, whether it be MLS or just in general? Yeah, well, I mean, like, look at Roy Hodgson, right? Roy mm-hmm. Hodgson just came back for what the, like, the 37th time after he retired <laughs> yeah. a few years ago, it feels like. Um, when I was doing my research, I was doing all my notes. And I always put like the age of the managers and the age of the players on my notes, just as a reference point. And I put 71. I was like, Bruce isn't 71. Like I had to look at it twice. Like no way, Bruce isn't like made 61, not 71. Like, it, but you just you you know you we're all gleefully forgetting how how much of an impact that he's had in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my mind, I'm still 23 years old, and I'm not 46. <laughs> you know, 23 years ago, I was at the Olympics in the summer, so. Um, it just shows you the impact that he's had and the longevity. And as long as he's still happy doing it, I don't think that he's losing his touch as we've seen from the start of this season. Awesome. Well, Brian, uh, once again, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time 